Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. Today, my guest is Kevin Perenio, Chief Lending Officer at PRMG, to talk about mortgage innovation and why he thinks 2024 is going to be an incredible year for mortgage lenders. First, here's a word from our sponsor. This is Sarah Wheeler, Editor-in-Chief at HW Media, talking with Melinda Wilner, Chief Operating Officer at UWM, about PA+. Melinda, why is it important for brokers to be scaling their business right now? Yeah, well, one, it's a little bit quieter of a time, uh, so there's more time to invest in making your process the absolute best one that really wows the borrower at the end of the day. But secondly, like we all know rates are going to come down, and we need to be as efficient as possible to be able to scale for the future when we're all dealing with a whole bunch of refinances. So perfecting the process right now is a great move. Great points, Melinda. And listeners, you can find out more at uwm.com. Kevin, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you, Sarah. You know I love being on here with you. I love having you on. Um, I wanted to have you on specifically right now because this week you have been the keynote speaker for the Mortgage Innovators Conference. And I would love to pick your brain a little bit. We need some innovation and we need also some encouragement for uh, mortgage folks out there. It's been a brutal year. Yeah, I you know, we're pretty we're pretty bullish heading into uh, the conference next week in Anaheim, the Mortgage Innovator Conference. Uh, I was lucky enough to be asked uh, on the California Mortgage Banker Association's board of directors, so I'm a new member. And Susan Malazzo is amazing. I mean, she's a CEO. She runs that thing. She's been there, you know, uh, a while to say that. And um, they they're they're very good and well run organization. I mean, they're financially sound. Um, well, heck, I mean, 25 to 29 percent, depending on what you know, report you look at, you know, of all originations come out of the state of California. So it's it's nice to have a, a strong uh, state chapter. This is the last big tech show of the year, right? And um, you know, before the summer break, right? And there's a there's a couple in the fall, uh, but you know, uh, you know, we saw each other at Ice Experience, which is huge, and uh, everyone kind of goes back to their their corner is that it's summertime, right? And then um, you start to get prepared for seasonally slower time of the year. Uh, so I think this is everyone's last really good chance to get out and and find out some things they can work on um, in the slower times because you still have to innovate. You still have to build. You still have to make your platforms and your offerings stronger. And it's easier to do it when it's not as busy. And I don't know what you're saying, but we are having a great couple months. I mean, March, April, and May have been fantastic for us. We also saw June is going to be great. Um, locks are, are generally good. Um, second half of last year was brutal. You know, we were talking about that the last time you and I uh, did a podcast together, which I think you said was December. And, um, you know, we it was like you can only go up from here at that point, right? And so um, it, so, so for us, the bar was low. So we, we're feeling good. It's spring purchase season. And, you know, every time a house gets completed or built, it, it's it's sold. So, Builders are loving it. Uh, there's probably still a little, you know, too many originators out there in the business that are uh, maybe not equipped to deal with a tough market. But 
um, you know, the strong survive right now. So really interesting to hear your perspective. I love that because the headline on our podcast um, in December was why you were bullish on 2023. And here you are in 2023, continuing that theme and feeling like, you know, it has been a good year. So what do you say, you know, so inventory is low, but apparently that's not, um, you know, hampering you guys too much. What do you think about that? Well, it's certainly a challenge, right? I mean, you know, our, our business um, on the lending side is a capacity model, and we had too much capacity uh, throughout the industry. And I think most companies, um, we certainly feel like you know, from an operational standpoint, um, you know, we're right-sized. We're in a good spot. You know, we, you know, we, um, I'll, give, I'll share some numbers with you. Um, we funded um, a billion and 45 million um, in loans, about 2,800, um, 2,900 loans. Um, in the month of May. Now, uh, we have three channels. So we're not just retail. We also have wholesale correspondent. And we actually had um, pretty equal weighting amongst them. And um, our correspondent channel is even, um, you know, has a little smattering of delegated offering in there. So about half that third, um, a sixth of it, if you will, is delegated and a sixth is non-del. So we felt really good about our, our balanced product mix. Um, but, you know, and so if, if we come down to say 600, all right, no overtime, maybe we go back to a 32 hour work week. Um, but if we go up over that billion, then, you know, we can maybe flex to offshore, maybe offer more overtime. So we, we feel like that's a nice sweet spot to be in as a company as we wait for the next big leg up, which would come with a Fed cut, uh, likely next year in an election year. Um, if we're in, um, you know, a recession or, the rates are so high that they don't need to be as high as they need to be, um, you know, for the market. So, um, but that's not to say we don't have challenges. I mean, you know, n- lack of housing supply is a challenge for everyone. And I think that's where the spotlight now is there's too many originators chasing, you know, too few homes for sale. And, um, you know, you've got a lot of originators that built their teams to scale, uh, but the the housing supply isn't, isn't scaled. Builders can only do so much, you know, they're, on pace for like 640,000 units a year. And, um, every time they, you know, put one up, it's sold. Right. And, uh, no matter what you want to call, uh, the phenomenon existing home sellers, you know, um, are, are not selling as much. And, um, uh, you know, a lot of it has to do with, they just bought at historically low rates. Maybe the reason to move hasn't shown itself yet. Plus they're in lower interest rates. Um, we kind of think around the five and a half percent, uh, Freddie Mac average rate uh, that someone would forego their three, three and a quarter to have a bigger home. You know, um, it's, it's, you know, plus the equity that they have gained along the way kind of offsets where that payment would be. And, um, and so, uh, so yeah, supply is a challenge for everybody. Uh, it's a challenge for realtors, um, uh, you know, everybody. Yeah. So it, it, it's not that we're not without challenges. It's just, uh, you know, it's just, the worst of it was last year. I think September was the low month and uh, November was the peak in rates. And we've just seen business and rates improve generally um, since then. And I will say, even if rates kind of recently spiked up with the whole debt ceiling debacle, they kind of got back into that 7% range. It's not as volatile and downtrending and sustained as it was from February of 22 um, all the way through November of 22. It's like, Bars are like, okay, like we're in this range between, you know, six and seven, you know, seven and a half to, 
you know, 5.75, whatever. Like that's the range. That's the going price. You know, the timing of when I need a roof over my head, um, you know, isn't going to give me a 4% rate. I need a roof over my head. I got to make the move. And so, um, the, the, the lack of volatility in interest rates and the fact that it's not a severe downtrend like it was in 2022, I, I think, uh, bodes well. And perhaps the second half of this year, even though seasonally slower for purchase business, I think could surprise people. I think, you know, people got to move, right? So they're still going to move um, if housing supply comes up. And who knows? Maybe we get a little tailwind and we get uh, the Fed to pause and then maybe at some point cut rates and then we get even lower rates. So we're positive. We're bullish. We're grinding. It's not without challenges. But nobody wants to sit next to someone in a foxhole fighting when they're complaining and whining all the time. You got to fight. You got to fight through it. Kevin, that's so true. I think we might actually see a better fall than people are uh, expecting for all the reasons that you just said. Um, I did want to ask you before we move on too much, when you talked about um, how you guys feel like you're right-sized, what does that look like as far as the mix of people that you have, underwriters versus um, you know, loan officers versus you know what you might do offshore? Tell me a little bit about that. Sure. Um, you, you know, Every company is different, right? And so uh, we do a lot of government lending. About half of our business um, in uh, in May was government, and, and and so we're a community lender. We've got 200 retail branches in communities. Uh, we're a Jenny May issuer, so you know we're able to do you know tough deals, serve the underserved, and um, we have the HUD watch numbers to, to prove it. So uh, you know there's a little bit more intensity uh, in underwriting. There's a little bit more manual work, and so we feel good about that. Then. You've got your cookie cutter stuff that comes around, and um, you know we uh, we've always uh, had an offshore resource that we use, and um, it's it, it goes back to a relationship that um, what, so there's four partners at our company. Paul and Robert founded the company, and then I've been with the company uh, October will be 13 years as a partner, a little over seven, and then Gary Malice is our partner over strategy and capital markets. He was one of the owners of First Magnus, which is where I started in the business in 2001. And um, he and that team at First Magnus created an offshore group, and um, we've been using them for for many many years. And um, but we're not an offshore company, right? So um, you know they do some work um, on you know some processes, you know whether it's lock validations, maybe some help in post closing shipping. From an underwriting perspective, they are helping with certain file types, and but it comes back to an onshore resource that cleans up the file and all the communication. And customer-facing uh, communication is all onshore. So we're not like a huge offshore company. But, you know, it helps us keep our cost to underwrite. I mean, we can underwrite a file for 50 bucks offshore and then another 25 for the onshore resource. That's $75 to underwrite a file. So uh, we think that that helps us kind of stay in the game. So that that's how we use it. And, again, when you, when you, when you say right size, I mean, you know, you know, I think it's it's harder to be bigger right now. You know, imagine, you know, imagine if we did $2 billion in the month of May. And then the month of September coming up, um, we only did $1.2 billion, right? That's the equivalent of maybe going from a billion to six hundred, right? So so $800 million in monthly business lost. It's, it's hard to be like, all right, no overtime, you know, uh, we're going to go to short work weeks. I mean, you're overstaffed. And so bigger companies have a tougher time in slower uh, markets. So I'm just speaking for us um, as far as like our size and our volume where we we feel good about where we're at. But we don't, you know, we've never wanted to be number one and 
hire thousands of people and then you got to fire thousands of people like, you know, and that's not a shot at any lender, but that's just, you know, economics. I mean, when you get big, you know, it's, it's hard to manage. Look at the lenders that have gone out of business. You know, there's five wholesale lenders in front of our wholesale channel that don't even exist anymore. I don't need to name names, but, um, you truly, you know, you, 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 there's no too big to fail in our business unless you're a bank, of course. Um, but, um, you know, you get big in our business, you, you can get on the, you can get on the out of bounds side. And so we feel really good. We're being patient. You know, when it gets slower, you know, you gotta, you gotta develop your team. You gotta work on resources. You gotta try and be more efficient. You know, you can't just cut your operation costs and that's it. Like you gotta make that cost that you spend more efficient, you know, and, uh, and do more units. And, and, and that comes with trying to, you know, build and develop, you know, deflationary technology. And, uh, and so that, that's, that's a lot of our focus in both ops and sales. Okay, well, let's talk about technology. Um, you know, one of the biggest things that, I mean, everywhere I go, people want to know about AI in a different way than AI, say, three years ago, two years ago, because there have been a lot of, you know, things happen, chat, GPT, other things. What do you think is really innovative right now? What When you're going to be speaking at the Innovators Conference, what technology do you feel like is making a difference right now? Well, this, this is my, my third podcast taping in 24 hours uh, and AI and data are all the rage, right? Um, you know, it's interesting, like chat GPT came on board and and now like it, like AI is mainstream, you know? Um, and the reality is there's there's no I in AI. You know, it's not sentient, you know, it's not, um, it's not going to take over the world and, and be Skynet and shoot us all and steal our pets, right? And cause a nuclear holocaust. You know, we're, you know, uh, it's still, you know, rules-based and algorithm-based and um, and, and again, ChatGPT is a large language model, not to be confused with other kinds of AI. Uh, you, you know, I'll give you an example. So in our business, uh, there's all these little processes that are kind of manual and wonky. And we've been using uh, uh, robotic process automation for several years. And we have a team that does that. We have, you know, some developers and engineers and stuff. And I think every company, you know, kind of goes down that path. Um, speak, you know, the, the software we use is called guided, uh, UI path. So UI path is the, is the software we use. And then we try and come up with different ways to just be more efficient, you know, whether it's pinging a HUD website to try and, you know, uh, clear cavers or pull up, uh, a case number, or, you know, just a software bot that's programmed to do something. And so where I like where chat GPT is going is it's created this big buzz. And now AI is like a mainstream, like they're, it's so funny. Like as soon as that came up, there are companies that have been in our business for like 10 years and all of a sudden like their slogan is like AI, you know, like they just started using the word AI and their slogan. I'm like, no, you, you're the same thing you were yesterday. Like, but anyway, I'm not going to call them out, but um, you know, it, it is a buzzword right now. And um, it, the, the bottom line is like, you know, using technology is deflationary. It reduces uh, friction. It compresses time and it allows you to scale your business. And, uh, and that's, that's important, um, in both sales and operations. No, that that's great. I love that. And I like your idea of like, you know, AI is now mainstream. That's exactly what I was trying to get at is like, it's not like it hasn't, you know, RPAs, uh, uh, RPA has been around forever, other, other parts of this, but now everybody kind of gets it, or at least they have access to it in a different way. And I do think it's gone mainstream. Yeah, hundred percent. And that's good. You know, if maybe some small emerging mortgage bankers are talking about like, you know, well, how, you know. I've got this company that does, you know, 50 million a month, 100 million a month. How can I use AI to build my platform? And they may be the next big lender, right? Because they're small enough to kind of tinker 
and and, and ingest things like that into their operations and then leverage it to become big. And, uh, and so it's, it's great for all of us. Um, uh, it, it is mainstream and, uh, you know, everything's data driven, right? Like your, your AI is only as good as your data allows it to be. So where are we getting our data? I mean, do we have a hundred percent compliance of day one certainty and tapping into access of bank accounts and income and IRS? Um, I'm working with this great company, Halcyon. They have an API with the IRS, like literally, like I don't have to pull a 45 or six. I could just, you know, get a, a bar to opt in and ping, ping, ping. And then I can get five years of look back data and five years forward. So it's also kind of a lead gen thing. And so that's not AI, but that's a more efficient way for me to get data directly from the IRS quicker. And then I can take that data and do other stuff with it, run it through my automated engine. I can get findings faster. I can validate income faster. I can bug my borrower less. I can, uh, you know, have my underwriters trust that the self-driving, you know, findings will actually get you from point A to B, you know, and, and so, um, you know, there, there's a lot of those little battles that are, that are fought every day to try and, you know, implement new technology into all of our, uh, our workflows. When you guys look at technology, what, what's the tipping point for you to say, yeah, we, we need to invest in something. I think day one certainty is like a perfect example. You know, I, 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 I said it for a reason, you know, um, I'm about to get on a, a little rant here. So, um, so forgive me. <coughs> um, you know, rocket mortgage was given day one certainty first before everybody, which was push button, get mortgage. And, just for, for our listeners that want to know what that is, thank God, uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, um, uh, with the blessing of FHFA, their regulator, allowed access and opened up this whole industry for push button get mortgage to happen. So borrowers give us their usernames and passwords for their bank accounts and their employers and all this different stuff. And we're grabbing income and asset information straight from the source and calculating income and assets. So Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are blessing the findings and going, hey, we'll give you rep and warrant relief because they are getting access to see straight from the source of data, income and assets. And so it's like pre-funding quality control for Fannie and Freddie. The problem is assets aren't being used fully because originators are scared that when that gets pulled, that there's a guideline that would get um, blown out. Give me an example. And I've had discussions with Fannie, Freddie, and FHFA about this. If there's a large deposit on bank statements that get uncovered through pressing an automated button in day one certainty, that deal's dead, right? Maybe? I don't know. The current guideline says source all deposits. So now you're going to go find out where it's from. I don't know where it's from. We don't know where it's from. Maybe it's from a family member. Maybe it's a gift. Maybe it's not. I don't really know. Um, and so that unknown of what's going to be uncovered, um, originators throughout the entire industry don't want to put that in front of an underwriter. They sure as heck don't want to put that in front of day one certainty where Fannie and Freddie are looking at it because they just got ran from an automated version. The guidelines allow you to have 60-day season funds. So now instead of using day one certainty because the guidelines scares everybody of the worst possible outcome, I'm not saying all the outcomes of large deposits are bad, but there are some outcomes where they are bad. And so originators are like, I'll just wait 60 days and then I'll show them the bank statement where there's no large deposits and all the funds are seasoned. And it's just for down payment anyway, right? So if it doesn't show up on a credit report after those 60 days, is it really a liability that you care about? So there's all these deposits that I don't know where the money comes from. And it's just kind of a pain to have to source. 
if it doesn't show up on the credit report as a liability, it's not really a debt-to-income risk to anyone. But it's being used one time for the down payment. So does it really matter? Like, does it really, really, really matter, right? Unless it shows up on a credit report. So I think they need to change their guideline and allow, uh, you know, maybe change their guideline on how they look at gifts, how they look at large deposits. And they would get a lot more usage of day one certainty on the asset side, which would compress time a ton on getting loans put through the, uh, the process. Uh, that's just one that uh, is not being used um, at wide scale. And I think it's a huge missed opportunity that uh, Fannie Freddie at FHFA could do something about. So I think it's really interesting. I uh, was talking to someone at FHFA um, last week and they were talking about it, how they're like, there are all these things out there. How do we get people, how do we get lenders to use them? right? It's the adoption. I mean, there are more things out there and, and probably in everybody's tech stack than they actually use. Yeah. No, I agree. Um, I was invited to take part in um, a panel and discussion at the FHFA uh, coming up in July. And it's basically like a showcase of new technology. You know, um, they have a, uh, I mean, I got to tell you, like, uh, you know, Jason Cave, for example, might be who you talked to. He's the head of innovation at FHFA, making a real public push, trying to get out there in the market, Talk about technology, um, you, you know, and, and how to get the GSCs aligned to, to, to look at certain things and approve certain uh, things that make sense to help serve more borrowers, get more borrowers, um, you know, get their taxes prepped more readily for less expensive, get more access to information, show more rental income history because some people are credit invisible. There is a lot of stuff out there. And um, to be honest, it's overwhelming, right? Because, um, you know, our business is so originator centric. I mean, our company, our motto is built by originators for originators, our two founders. And um, and so we serve originators no matter how they want to be served. So originators only have so much time. You know, they're grinding for deals right now because there's a lack of supply. So maybe now's not the day that they're going to go use like this new QR code, you know, WISP to go out and extract cell phone numbers off all of their marketing collateral. Like they're just you know, trying to like grind through deals and, and answer, you know, uh, phone calls and make phone calls. And so, you know, um, and then the flip side is when it gets busy again, you know, it's hard for people to, you know, all right, well, I'm so busy. Loans are falling out of the sky because rates are low. It's hard to go do something new. And that's just, that's just our business. It's, it's a, it's a very manual, rugged, hand-to-hand combat business. And it's always hard to, you know, I've always said this. I say this all the way. It's like my phrase. It's hard to zoom out and just kind of look around and then be able to go, okay, you know, here's the big picture. I, I need to do this, this, and this. And so, um, yeah, I've, I've, used that, I've used that phrase, zoom out, for like, you know, ever since Zoom was, was created. So I appreciate you using that. Um, I have a question. You know, we saw in 2020, 2021, um, lots of lenders go public or try to go public. PRMG, you guys are privately held. Why do you think that that is a um, an advantage to you right now? Yeah, you know, I think it's an advantage all the time. Um, you know, the, again, Paul and Robert founded the company, um, uh, maybe their partner seven years ago after working here um, about six. And um, that's why I moved from Fort Lauderdale to California. And I had been an owner of a company prior um, for about three years. So um, I, know, I know what they go through. And um, there's some challenges. You know, I remember... Uh, I remember after 08, and, and there's our, 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 our partner, Gary Malice, you know, he, who was one of the owners of First Magnus, you know, brilliant mind, great dude. Um, so there's a strength in numbers. It's a team approach. You get to like bounce things off each other and um, share the risk, share the capital requirements and all that. 
Um, and I think you can build to scale higher when you have um, a stacked bench. But I remember after 08 in the Great Recession, everyone wanted to hide out at the strength of the banks, right? Because it was great to be at a bank. Brokers got crushed. All the regulation crushed them. And um, the balance sheet of the banks was the place to be. Now, remember, those balance sheets were only there because the Department of Treasury bailed them out. Okay, so um, there was no strength. There was no capital anywhere in, at that time, and it was brutal. Um, and so that was kind of the place to be. But banks are banks. You know, they have their purpose. They do different things. Independent mortgage bankers, all we do is mortgage. It's our only line of business. That's all we do. We're built by registered for registers. That is it. Not trying to open a real estate company. We're not trying to. We don't have deposits, checking accounts. Got to worry about our, you know, our treasuries running off and deposits running. Off. Like banks got other problems to deal with. You think they want to deal with the crap we're dealing with in mortgage and real estate? I don't know, man. So um, I worry about some of their appetites in a time like this. You lose money for a year at a bank. I mean, maybe they're like, ah, eh, we're out. I mean, look at some of them that pulled out a jumbo, even you know. And so what's interesting is last year banks were strong again. But then this banking crisis happened in March, and now banks are like, okay, maybe I don't need to make a bunch of jumbo loans out there to third parties. I'll just take care of my retail clients, my deposit clients. So banks aren't even where it's at right now. And so um, we're here. We're in the community. We're doing the tough loans. We haven't gone anywhere. We've got resolve. There's only four of us. How much money do you have to make you know, to, to, to make it through? You know, and uh, and twenty and twenty twenty one were great for for every independent mortgage bank, for everybody in this business, for that matter. And so um, there there's something uh, to be said about the flexibility, and uh, it, it's not like there's a lack of oversight. I mean, yeah, banks are regulated, but we got the CFPB. I mean, we've got uh, you know fair lending uh, exams that we go through and uh, and work together with our partners at the CFPB. Um, you know, we have audits with Fannie and Freddie and Ginny all the time. All of our warehouse lenders, every single state. So it's not like, you know, it used to be like, oh, be independent. You're not regulated like a bank. I mean, we're regulated like every which way from Sunday. So, um, you know, it, that's, that's the business right now. So I would not want to be starting a wholesale lender from scratch right now. I think the bar is so high. The barrier to entry is so high. I think all the incumbents, all of us who are left, have built such a machine to lose money at scale for an extended period of time to wait for the market to come back around. I don't know why anyone would want to start a wholesale business. So you see a lot of people, you know, coming out and doing non-QM because, you know, you can make a little bit more per loan. I mean, it's, 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 it's the new subprime, right? I mean, it's not subprime because the, the, the bars, you know, they, they do perform well. The guidelines aren't like 80, 20, no doc, 100% financing, but the margins are fatter there. So you see a lot of companies, pivoting to non-QM or coming out at non-QM because they can't make it in a paper. It's There's a thinning of the herd right now in a paper, and there's still some consolidation that's gone on. And I think that um, as the as the incumbents and those of us that are left, I mean, we, we've never thought of us as like, we're a big guy, you know, like we're your community lender. Like our, our CEO and founder is on the phone every day with our employees just working through stuff. You know, our COO is you know, he's working on deals individually and underwriting that need a business decision. So, you know, even at a billion a month at our peak, 1.75 billion, we're still uh, a community lender and we're very involved. And I think there's some advantages to that. Um, I think it's very hard to jump in the game right now um, in, in 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 certain spaces for sure. Independent is uh, with a strong balance sheet. I think it's very important right now. Well, I also think you know um, it's one thing to say, yeah, we're going to start doing uh, non QM, but you have to have you know, the bench strength of people who know how to do that right. 100%. I mean, 
you know, we've hired some great people at our company to, to run that. Paul Jones is out there. He's a gentleman I have a ton of respect for. I've been on panels with him in the past. And when First Guarantee went out of business, um, you know, another company that, you know, got, got sideways for whatever reason, you know, their money was with a hedge fund backed fund out of PIMCO and they pulled the plug and it's unfortunate, you know. And so we try to bring on good talent from that team and help out where we could. And uh, we were already doing non-QM and we were banking non-QM. So we have four different relationships where we underwrite in-house and close and fund and sell off closed loan packages of non-QM deals. We don't just broker out non-QM deals, um, which we also offer that too. And Paul, we brought on to help be our non-QM expert. He holds trainings. He helps with our cap markets team with Gary Malice and then our underwriters. And so, but that's, that's, you know, 10% of our book could be 15 if we flex up. Rates come down, A paper is where it's at. I mean, A paper is still going to run, right? So, so we find balance. We're diversified, but we're not going heavy in one direction. I mean, look at you know March of 2020 when there was a liquidity event. What was the first thing to dry up? Boom, non-QM, gone, done. Like it, it just froze overnight. The whole reason the word non-QM is there is because it's a non-qualified mortgage as opposed to find as a qualified mortgage per Dodd-Frank, which is an A paper GSC loan. Non-QM has its own separate private market, and when I mean, we could have another pandemic tomorrow. I mean, I, God forbid that doesn't happen. It sounds awful, but abso- that absolutely could happen. Okay, and if that happened, and we're already in a, a liquidity drawdown with the Fed doing what they're doing. What do you think's the first thing to dry up overnight? Non-QM. I mean, immediately. I mean, immediately. And so, if your whole business model is just that. That's tough, right? You know, and God bless those people who have, you know, the chutzpah to get out there and do that. Um, but, you know, it is, um, you know, Dodd-Frank Dodd carved that out to protect the A-paper world. And um, and so, you know, second liens are under pressure. If we have a serious job loss recession and defaults go up, which they have not, but if they do, what's the first thing to go? Second lien. You know, so it's same as it ever was. You know, this business is about, you know, uh, quality investments and 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 being sound financially and being diversified. We're diversified within mortgage banking, we feel. Um, and so I, um, but having said all that, I, I, you know, if I could maybe, maybe prognosticate on, on where the industry is going in the next 12 months. Um, I, uh, I think next year is going to be huge. I think next year will be uh, the fourth biggest year on record. And the reason I say, and the reason I say that is, um, let's think about this. So the last, 12 months, you have first-time home buyers. okay? Um, it's actually a little more than 12 months at this point that have been at higher rates, okay? And then you're going to have about another, let's call it another 12 months under your belt, you know, spring Q2 of next year. You get 24 months, okay? 1.5, 1.3, 1.5, 1. 1.5. We'll just call it $3 trillion in first-time home buyers or purchase business at higher rates at larger loan amounts, by the way. I mean, the loan amounts are larger than ever. Like, there's no supply. The loan amounts are huge. So for there to be a net tangible benefit for a bar in a year from now, they could probably just go down 75 basis points in rate, 0.75 in rate. If the Fed pauses, okay, we might get that rate decrease. Or maybe we don't. Maybe it's higher for longer, and the Fed cuts sometime next year. And then you get that. So now you've got cheaper money getting some of those 3% borrowers existing home sales off the shelf to buy up. Okay, so you got some more inventory come on. Plus, you got about 
$3 trillion of borrowers that want to refinance. And our business has been shrinking since the $4.6 trillion 2020 and four point you know, uh, three, four point one, twenty twenty one, whatever you want to call it. Uh, so, you know, the capacity is down. So it will feel even bigger. It, if the number is the fourth biggest year ever next year, it could feel like like one of the best, like a top three. So, um, so anyway, I, I, I'm we're extremely bullish, even more so on next year, uh, based on the way the setup is there. And who knows? Maybe a couple more big players decide to drop out of this business. That like some like you said, you know, at the beginning, some people you talk to, it's brutal. You know, they don't have their their P's and Q's in order, and people do funny stuff when you lose money for a year straight. They're like, yeah, you know, why are we in this business? And uh, you'll start to have some of those conversations happening um, if they aren't already. Um, you know, we're good. We think uh, a lot of independent mortgage bankers are probably in a good spot at this point. They've survived this far. We'll see what happens the second half of the year. Um, but I still think next year is going to be a great year. Well, I'm going to end on that uh, very positive note. I agree with you. Um, and I also think you just have all the people who for the last couple of years have been shut out of homeownership for different reasons. And there is going to be some pent up demand if, if we get some of those rates a little bit lower. And even if you just think about, you know, some of the natural things that happen, even for those 3% borrowers, a couple of years down the road, you know, things, things change, things happen. So I, I'm, I'm all on board with you, Kevin. Love your enthusiasm. And thanks so much for being on. Of course. Thanks for having me. Anytime you ask, I'm like, yes, ma'am. You tell me when. <laughs> I appreciate that. And of course, our listeners, um, you might have uh, be hearing Kevin at the Mortgage Innovators Conference. He's their keynote. I'm actually also going to be moderating a panel, which I'm pretty excited about on mortgage innovation, a VIP mortgage innovation roundtable. And Jason K from the FHFA will be on that. So I'm really excited nice. about that event. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. That's who I was talking to when he was talking about like, how do we get people to, um, you know, to, uh, adopt what's already there or to start using it. So Kevin, great conversation. Love having you on and I'll see you soon. Hi, I'm McKenna Clay, Events and Program Specialist here at HW Media. And I wanted to invite you to our upcoming event this summer. A theme we've heard from housing leaders this year is the importance of relationships to not only survive, but be strategic in 2023. And that's why we decided to invite the top C-suite executives and leaders in mortgage to join us at Gathering of Eagles in Austin, Texas from June 18th until 21st. Now, Gathering of Eagles has historically been exclusive to the nation's most elite brokerage, association and team leaders, and C-suite leaders. But for the first time this year, we're opening up the audience to include execs from mortgage, title, and insurance so that you can connect and build vital partnerships for your business. If you want to learn more, visit the events page on realtrends.com and you can get registered today to come hang out with us in Austin. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show or leave a comment. We'll see you back here on Monday for more news and insight.